as Timothy said, uh, my name is my name is Aaron, and I serve as one of the pastors here, and I'm blessed to be <coughs> before you this morning. Uh, today we've uh, come to the end of our time in our uh, uh, Beatitudes in the in the Good Life series. Uh, we'll continue on in the Good Life series, but uh, the the portion of the Beatitudes closes today, uh, and so hopefully uh, this this time has been a challenging uh, to your soul as well as good to your soul. Uh, hopefully we have had the opportunity as uh, we see the Beatitudes is not a list of things to keep and, and do, but actually who we are in Jesus uh, and also how he empowers us to, to live this life through, uh, through the power of his Holy Spirit. And so my, my hope today uh, is to uh, challenge you with what I'd like to call uh, some gospel alignment, um, some, some heart alignment. Um, and so I'd ask that you would stand with me as we uh, read our scripture. We'll be reading from Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 12. Uh, and then we will go into a time of prayer and then some preaching. Uh, so uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1, please follow along with me. Seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Isaiah chapter 40 says that the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Uh, God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to suffer and be persecuted on our behalf. I pray that you would help us to see joy. I pray that you'd help us to rejoice in suffering when it integrates with our lives and with our faith. I pray that you would break the chains of comfort so that in enduring, we might be able to see the blessing it is to be dependent upon you. In Jesus' name, be with us today. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. No one in their right mind would say that you are blessed or you wouldn't say that you are blessed in the midst of persecution. No one who's thinking logically would fix their mouths to say that you are blessed when evil is being spoke of you. Uh, like just, for example, we generally don't like discomfort. We generally don't like to be misunderstood and we 
really don't like people who speak bad upon our character or speak bad that destroys our reputation. We abhor situations like that. And so oftentimes in our culture, it's hard for us to experience uh, this, this, this blessing of the kingdom that, that comes from being persecuted. Because generally speaking, we don't experience a tremendous amount of persecution. So let me, um, let me, let me, let me lock in on that just a little bit. Uh, persecution seems to be an illogical thought because on some levels uh, we've, we've believed this a lie and on other levels we've just had faulty theological frameworks about the Christian life and suffering. Uh, and so what I mean by that, we've been taught over time, whether that's through songs or whether that's through preaching or whether that's through our own imaginations of what Scripture might mean, We've been taught that, that God loves you and, and God won't put more on you than you can bear. And we've been taught that God has a perfect plan for you in your life and this perfect plan doesn't always include suffering. We've also been taught that if I do the right things, right, uh, th then good will come back to me, hashtag karma. And so we, we, we've been brought up in this world and in this life to believe that on some levels this Christian life is it's smooth. But the reality is, is that that comes from a misinterpretation of Scripture and often just from our own uh, intellectual imagination. So, so to think that there is no suffering, and today primarily the suffering that I'm focusing on is persecution, and uh, in, in the Christian life is a dilemma. Suffering will come. Let me, let me read this passage to you uh, from Paul's words to, to give us this right framework. Because some of what we've brought up in this framework is this idea that, you know, God won't put more on us than we can bear. And we get that from this passage in Corinthians that's actually in context talking about temptation. It's God will not tempt us beyond what we are able to handle. And in the temptation, he will provide an escape route for us. It's not specifically talking about suffering, and it's definitely not talking about persecution. And so when we look at a passage also in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, we see the words of the Apostle Paul. And it says, uh, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Verse 8 is where it gets real. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So Paul writes this passage about his ministry experience. And in his ministry experience, he said that, it was like we received the sentence of death. In fact, we, we, like we despised being on the mission that we were in. We would rather have died. We were so utterly burdened. 
that we didn't even want to be living and breathing any longer. It would have been better if God just would have took us. Let me tell you a story about a Roman pastor's imprisonment. He was pressed and tortured mercilessly and yet experienced joy. He was locked in solitary confinement. He had been summoned by his captors, and they brought him down, and they began to cut chunks out of his skin. He was then returned to his cell, and then uh, in solitary confinement, he was starved. Yet it is written that in the midst of his torture, it is said that there were times when the joy of Christ so overcame him that he would pick his bloody body up off of the floor and begin to dance in his cell. He would begin to dance with joy, and it, it was called some type of a holy dance. Imprisoned, cut up, bleeding, starved, in darkness and solitary confinement. His joy was so remarkable that on the, on the release of prison and his return home, he chose to fast for the first day in memorial to the joy that he had known while he was in prison. It gives me chills. He chose to fast. He had been tortured and all because of his righteousness and all because of Christ. And so he chose to fast on that day. So, so some of you might be looking at me and asking, or may, maybe it's just like, okay, I know what persecution is. Well, well, let me define it. First, I don't think we need to be overly dramatic about persecution. I think that sometimes we experience persecution in the day-to-day -day life. I believe as followers of Jesus, us living our Christian life, I do believe that sometimes we experience it, but I do believe it's on a lighter level than some. And so for this context, I'll define persecution as this. Persecution is the suffering in any form as it results to your association with Jesus Christ. One commentator said this, that persecution must come from righteous living and not due to sin or tactlessness. So let me make a clarifying statement. You can receive persecution, and that persecution that you receive is not necessarily because you are a Christian. Sometimes, living as a Christian, you can receive persecution because of your own sin. Sometimes, as a Christian, you can receive persecution because of your tactlessness, of how you function and how you go about your life on a day-to-day -day basis. That is very possible, but that's not the type of persecution that we're speaking of. A distinction also needs to be made here. That persecution is particular for the righteousness of Jesus and because of Jesus. And that this is not an all-encompassing blessing that is attributed to everyone everywhere who has been persecuted for any cause. Some people do amazing things in our world when it comes to even social justice, things that we are passionate about as a church, when it comes from the, the rights, of fighting the rights of others primarily. But you can do those things and not even be a follower of Jesus and also receive persecution. So we must not get it entangled. And so although I'm pressing slightly on us in uh, our light levels of persecution that doesn't necessarily apply to all in this room. I am aware that scripture instructs us and teaches us that because we are one body, if one part of the body suffers, then we all do. 
And so us knowing about persecution and how to go into the the idea of what persecution is helps to benefit because we can be aware and be prayerful and also support our brothers and sisters who are experiencing. After a little bit of research on uh, uh, Open Door, um, uh, here's some stats about persecution. Every month, on average, 345 Christians are killed for faith-related reasons. 105 churches and Christian buildings are burned or attacked. 219 Christians are detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, and imprisoned. One in nine Christians experience high levels of persecution uh, worldwide, not to mention those who lose friends and family members, these things that are undocumented because of their Christian faith. So don't be surprised. In fact, Peter writes this passage. In fact, we should expect persecution. Uh, in, in, in 1 Peter chapter uh, 4, verses 12 through 13, he writes this. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice as you are sharing in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. So for the follower of Christ, there should be this weird level of expectation that you will endure trial and persecution specifically, and generally speaking, that you will endure suffering. If you follow Christ, if you allow the gospel to be the the leading force of your life, if the Holy Spirit indeed lives in you, it is a fact that you will be persecuted off of GP. And what GP means is just general principle. Uh, Just general principle, because of your association with Christ, you will face some level of persecution. But if any of you are like me, oftentimes our responses to persecution are not what they should be. Let let me paint this picture because uh, usually when we think about persecution, even if we're reading an article from somewhere else about somebody else being persecuted, maybe we have some compassion, but oftentimes we are gripped with fear. What if that happens to me? Or maybe it's frustration or maybe it's anger because it causes tension in us to, to, to stir up the beliefs that we had about what it meant to walk with Jesus. And so maybe our response should be a little bit more different, right? Jesus says that this is a blessing for us, right? That if you are persecuted, this goes along with the line that you, you are blessed. You have this divine happiness about your persecution, and you should rejoice and be glad that you are receiving this type of treatment. But that's not how we respond. When when somebody offers me a blessing, normally, like, there's some joy that's associated with it, all right? It uh, it, it was a family one time who who walked uh, during Christmas, and they gave us these homemade honey buns, and that was a blessing. And I was happy about those honey buns. And I enjoyed eating those honey buns. I wasn't angry about having that bag of homemade honey buns with the frosting on top of them. 
glazed over, nice, home-baked. Neither were my kids. All four of them, they love the honey buns. That's what blessings do. It makes you joyful. You experience this level of, like, just happiness. But that's not what we do when we think about persecution. Persecution doesn't bring that type of a feeling. But Jesus instructs us to respond in a way that is opposite of how we naturally respond. Uh, The whole series on the Beatitudes does this. Not only should we expect suffering, but we should also rejoice. Uh, It's one thing to be optimistic about life, right? Like to to have a general feeling that everything will work out okay. Uh, you, and along the way, you might get these signs, right? Like, okay, that works, so maybe this will work as well. But there's another thing to have this divine, uh, this divine hope in the midst of hard things, knowing that God will and he can work it out. But even at the current moment, it's looking a tad bit horrible. It's, optimism kind of dwindles in situations like that. But when you have this hope, this divine gospel hope, knowing that, like, nothing can separate you from him, it gives you a different type of fortitude to be able to function under persecution or suffering in situations. And so we are instructed to rejoice, but the question is, how do we rejoice in the midst of suffering? And I don't want to sell you this wolf ticket in regards to like, hey, it's uh, happy as me because I'm facing persecution for Jesus. That's not what we're speaking of. We're, we're speaking of a posture or attitude of the heart when it comes to uh, embracing or having persecution be integrated into your faith of responding in a worshipful way and to be thankful for it. There's a passage in Philippians that gives us this idea, right, that Paul says, he writes, he says, it has been granted to you to suffer. And not trying to be a Greek scholar because I'm far from it, but the word granted used in that passage is graced. So if you would have replaced that for just a moment, it says, graced are you when you suffer. It's the same idea that Jesus is telling that we are blessed and we are happy when we suffer, but how? I think when we look here, we we have some passages in Romans, and I'm going to skip around a little bit. Don't feel the need to follow, but uh, in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. In Romans chapter 8, verse 35, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall, shall, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And then uh, uh, further along down in, in verse 38, it says, For I am sure that neither death nor, nor life nor angels nor, nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor death uh, nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation, just in case you were wondering if I missed anything. Nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so we are able to rejoice in persecution because the love of Christ is bulletproof and it cannot be overcome. So we are able to be glad and to rejoice in that what Christ has done can't be undone. Therefore, when we 
face persecution on his behalf, we experience blessing because we are associated with him and what he's done can't be undone. But there's an unfortunate piece to this that some of us won't experience the blessedness that comes from persecution. Let, let, me, let me read this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, suffering then is the badge of true discipleship. The disciple is not above his master. Discipleship means allegiance to the suffering Christ and is therefore not at all surprising that Christians should be called upon to suffer. Uh, so, so some of us won't experience this, uh, this, this blessedness and persecution and this rejoicing when folks are speaking bad about us on, for the sake of Christ, not, not because we made a mistake or, or not because we, we did something, but because they know that we follow Jesus and we're associated with him and we, we believe him to be the only way. Persecution will come. But some of us have missed that because... We, we like the idea of spoon-fed discipleship. I'll, I'll press in on that a little bit, and I want you to know something. Uh, this is not uh, an attempt to create conviction. Uh, and this is not an attempt to uh, try to stir you up. This is really uh, a, a, an attempt to uh, look at what I've assessed as a pastor this is an attempt to uh, what I said earlier at the beginning to uh, this idea of gospel and heart alignment. Uh, here's the reality. The reality for, for many of us, include me in this room, that we have already, uh, that we've ate enough and we're already spiritually uh, obese. Like we've spiritually overeaten. We, we have more than enough substance to complete the work that God has given us. We got city groups. We, we have a prayer school. We, we have prayer liturgy. We have men's events. We have purity groups. We have emotionally healthy discipleship. We have individualized women's groups over the summer for specifics. We have age-specific groups. We have more to come. And all of these things are amazing. And all of these things are awesome. But let me just share with you for one brief moment, those things won't bring persecution. I'll keep, I'll keep going. Uh, there, there is a ton to eat, right? And so, again, I want to I reiterate the fact that this is an assessment, not conviction and not guilt tripping. This is gospel heart alignment. This is heart alignment. But, but, if we, but if we are always wanting to comfortably sit around the table and feast, we might be missing something. We might be missing out on a blessing. It will be hard to experience the blessedness of persecution because here's what we do know. We know that discipleship and suffering go hand in hand. We know that a part of discipleship is sharing the gospel and walking out your faith, not just in your actions. Yes, praise Jesus in your actions, but the gospel is a message that is preached. And the only preaching shouldn't be taking place here is on Sunday morning. God has commissioned us to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Therefore, we have this obligation to proclaim as well. We know that making relationships and loving our neighbor is good. We know that uh, all of these things bring about a portion of redemption. But, but what I think we've 
error it at just a little bit is when it's time to turn the corner. Uh, here's what I mean. When the social event has ran its course, when, we, when, when we've so-called so ate and drank with tax collectors, when, when the beer has been plenty and the cornhole tournament is done, did we preach Jesus? Did we preach the crucified Christ? It's easy for us to read these passages like Romans 1.16. So it says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We read those passages and we, and we love them. Y'all understand that I'm saying we because I'm in that number. And I'm going to take the silence as amens, right? And so we, we leave this and in these passages they motivate us. The power of God unto salvation. I'm not ashamed of that, but where we get hung up at is that word ashamed. And, and we don't necessarily say it, but we show it in our action. Because when you're ashamed of something, you hide it. When you're ashamed of something, you're, you might become awkward around it. When you're ashamed of something, you make excuses. When you are ashamed of something, uh, uh, you function different. When you're ashamed of something, it doesn't flow like it should. But when there's no shame, you accept responsibility. When there's no shame, you don't hide. When there's no shame, you understand obligation. You represent that which you are not ashamed of. Y'all, we cannot be ashamed of Christ, for he has never been ashamed of us. He left heaven for us, and he came to earth and subjected himself to humanity. Jesus, being 100% God and 100% man, says something to us that nothing else has ever said. He subjected himself to things like sickness. He subjected himself to things like needing to have food. Jesus has never been ashamed of us, right? So, so he, he came to earth. He, he entered in on our behalf. We, we can't be ashamed of him. He suffered for us. He, he hung on a cross with nails in his feet and in his wrists. The blood was dripping from his body. He embraced the shame of our sin so that we might have abundant life. We can't shrink back and be lulled to sleep in social events and not be proclaiming the gospel. We have to preach Christ and him crucified. We, can't, we cannot be ashamed of Christ. There are people who need to hear, and we can't be ashamed of Christ based on this idea that we might be persecuted or folks might look at us weirdly. So the social events is cool. I like going to them. I like hanging. I like high-fiving folks and getting to know people. I love that stuff. But social events won't get me persecuted. The cornhole tournaments are awesome. I like to see people winning in cornhole. It's dope. But cornhole is not going to get you persecuted. Community service, adopting, social justice works, all good and a part of gospel redemption. But most people in Durham will not even bother to persecute you if you did something awesome in the area of any of the things I meant. You adopt a kid, awesome, praise Jesus. You do social justice work. Awesome. They're not going to persecute you about that. But what they will persecute you for is when you turn the corner and you say, Jesus is it. 
when you begin to speak about the inclusivity and the exclusivity of Christ, and what I mean by that, this paradigm of the gospel includes both. God, Jesus is like, hey, come on, bring them. We love them. We love people. Yes, we want to invite folks, but then there's this exclusivity about Jesus that says, hey, you know what? I'm the only way. That's when it gets tricky. That's when it gets awkward, and then we begin to talk about Jesus, and then, then, then we, uh, we walk away from that because that awkwardness turns into fear. But then because of that fear, we miss this opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Don't let that happen. Press into that. Share your faith. Explain and proclaim the gospel. So Christ Central, let me ask a question. Is the good life what you thought it would be? Not for me, to be honest, probably not. I like to argue that it act, might actually be better. There's blessings on top of blessings on top of blessings, but the blessings may not necessarily be what you think they are. In fact, I like to argue again, not only with you, but with myself, but that those blessings are probably better and they are good for you, but the pathway to those, bless them, those blessings are, is unorthodox and it's through the persecuted life of Christ. So, so as I said earlier, my hope is that uh, you're not discouraged and that you don't uh, necessarily feel uh, down and out, but I hope you feel challenged and I hope you feel the need to rely on Jesus in this season because when we talk about persecution and missing the blessing that comes with it, some of us may have these doubts and some of us may wonder, where do I stand in this? But here's what I'll leave you. I'll leave you with Romans uh, 1, I mean Philippians 1, 6, when Paul said this to me and he said this to you. He says, I am confident that he who began a good work in me will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And so where Jesus is, there's grace. Where Jesus is, there's love. Where Jesus is, there's action that comes from the gospel. There's verbal proclamation. And we see that here in this church. And I don't want that to go unnoticed. But the push is, the, the ask is to really examine when we do the things that we do, is the goal, is the end goal to be able to proclaim the gospel. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for the opportunity to be here. God, I ask that uh, in the midst of us uh, worshiping here this morning that you would uh, bring about a source of joy. I know that some in this room have experienced uh, levels of persecution. I know some in this room uh, are wondering, uh, how do I even go about this process of proclaiming the gospel? God, I pray that you would uh, point them into the right direction, whether that's us or uh, books or uh, scripture or uh, just the opportunity to say, hey, Jesus uh, uh, lived, Jesus died, and Jesus rose again. I pray you give us the boldness to do so. In Jesus' name, amen.